Hi, everybody. It's Matt from Discover College Soccer. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, whether that's on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. I also wanted to let you know about the Discover College Soccer Study Table. This is our brand new online portal that is complete with a 14-part online course giving you all of the ins and outs of the college soccer recruiting process. There's also a wealth of resources such as checklists, templates, there's the spreadsheets that have every soccer program in the country along with their coaches, their contact information, their social media information, uh, some basic stats about the school and more. Plus there's an online community where you can ask your questions, share your wins, your losses, any questions that you may have around the college soccer recruiting process. It's all there at the Discover College Soccer study table that you can find at discovercollegesoccer.com slash study table and hopefully we will see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Discover College Soccer. Today, I am super lucky. I get to be joined by really one of the the American soccer coaching legends uh, around these days, Randy Waldrum. Thank you, Randy, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, you know what? I'm a I'll steer things. I won't. Go, I'm not going to go through the litany of questions uh, that that I generally go through, but I'm going to touch on a lot of the things that that I think are relevant and that people want to hear. But you know, usually when I, when I'm talking to coaches, we usually start talking about recruiting, and this is going to air probably just after that June 15th date that's on everybody's calendar. Um, but you know, what what does your typical recruiting calendar look like? And let's just kind of start with June 15th. So I'm assuming that day you're going to be really talking to, I guess, the be the, the 25s, that's uh, right. but you're going to, you know, how much of your 24 class is done at that point? Kind of what is, what does that whole thing look like for you guys? Yeah. Ours is probably, and honestly, a little different maybe than some of the <clears throat> more established programs. You know, I think, um, Years ago when I was at Notre Dame and, and uh, you know, we were winning national championships and competing every year for one, you know, we would lose two or three seniors and recruiting was just filling in two or three spots and replacing those two or three. Here at Pitt's a little different because we've been building this program, you know, for a few years trying to turn it around and get it to into a right place and a good place. So for us, this is going to be a little bit different only because um, – on June 15th, we're certainly reaching out to those 2025s, as you mentioned, that we're excited about and uh, and and looking to recruit heavily. Uh, but we're not, you know, even though I would say we're kind of somewhat finished with our 2024 class, we're really not finished in terms of if we find a 2024 out there that can impact us right away, then certainly we're going to find a way to make that, you know, to make that work. So, even though we felt feel good about our, our 2024 class, uh, for us, since we're, you know, like I said, since we're still building, we, we wouldn't turn that uh, around or turn that player away by any means. So for those 24s that are out there still looking, don't, don't think it's, you know, that the window has closed. There's still schools out there that are looking, um, may not be as many, uh, but if you're a good player, you'll, you'll find the fit and, um, you know, keep keep pushing through it. Don't think it's it's too late because June fifteenth has rolled around for the twenty fives. Um, and for us with the twenty fives, Matt, to be honest, our our um, we may you know have some offers ready on June fifteenth. I think a lot of the established schools will their top players they'll make an offer on June fifteenth. 
<clears throat> we're still a little behind in a standpoint that um, we want to make sure we're making the right decision. So being as young as they are, being a sophomore and still having two years of high school left where they're still maturing and their bodies are changing and their interest levels are changing, we may make an offer, you know, with a few players, but we may want to wait and still monitor for the next four or five months, you know, uh, and see where they are because so much does change, you know, from a sophomore year in high school till to a senior year in high school. So uh, that's the way we'll do it. But uh, I do know there'll be some schools out there making offers right away. I think the scary thing and the one thing that your, your listeners ought to make sure they understand if you're 25 and you don't get a call on June 15th, doesn't mean that you're not good enough or that you're not wanted. It's obviously the schools can't call everybody on the first day <laughs> and those calls will continue to come you know, through June, July, and August. So yeah, just be patient with the process. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things you mentioned there uh, was, you know, if you find a 24 or, or, or you're still looking. So in your recruitment mix, right, whether it's going to events or camps or, or any of all, all those things, right, how much would you say is people reaching out to you and saying, hey, coach, I want to come to your school versus you being proactive and finding a player uh, through, uh, you know, a club coach that you know, or whatever the case may be. Kind of what does that mix look like? And do yeah. you think that has changed over the years? Because obviously you got a, a, a nice swath of experience to pull from. Right. Well, I think the majority of the, the kids that we're recruiting and that we see uh, that can fit our program we see one of two ways we, we're either seeing them at the recruiting events, you know, whether that be an ACNL or a GA event um, at times, maybe even, you know, USYS youth, you know, national events. Uh, I would say, but the majority are players that we have identified early, you know, starting in their freshman year and, you know, starting to track. So we've identified them early and, we've kind of initiated, you know, the process of based on what we've seen. So I would say the majority probably come from that. Although I would say a, 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 a large percentage also comes from contacts that we've made over, you know, 30 plus plus years of college coaching for me. Um, we've got a lot, a lot of great contacts with the clubs around the country and some, some top high schools around the country that have been good to us over the years uh, and that we trust their evaluation. So uh, I would say those two pathways are probably the the most that we come from, but I'll also tell you the two other ways that we have gotten kids, um, our ID camps, for example, uh, those first couple of years we got here in 2018. So I think in 2020, I was taking a look, we had 21 players on our roster uh, over those three years that we picked up through our ID camps um, that we may or may not have seen because they weren't all playing for for top clubs, you know, or top ECNL clubs. Um, now that's getting, uh, you know, that's a lot early, but we had a lot of changes to make early. We, we, we weren't good when we took this over. Um, and then the other way, I think outside of the ID camps are the, the players writing to us, you know, we'll, we look at every email, we look at every video that the kid sends us. And if there's something that we've seen in that highlight clip that triggers our interest, then certainly, you know, we're tracking those players down. So players should continue to send that and send send that information out to the coaches often. Um, but those are probably the, 
the biggest ways we find our players. Okay. <clears throat> now one uh, bit of experience that you have that most college coaches can't say that they have is, is the international experience right? Uh, and, and what you've done with coaching some of the, the international teams. And, and I get asked this question all the time is, you know, why, <clears throat> why are these coaches recruiting international players when there's probably, you know, American players that could be, you know, just as good or step in and, 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 you know, I've seen rosters, you know, you somebody like a Florida state who, right. you know, they might start kids from eight different countries. Uh, right. <laughs> on right. there. So can you just talk a little bit about how the, I guess, how the game has grown into that international recruiting and, and what does that look like for, for you now at Pitt and, and just kind of in the landscape of college soccer? Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it's pretty, pretty detailed to be honest, because think our situation at Pitt, for example, when we got here in 2018, the program was not good. It was 22 years old and only had two winning seasons. So we had to turn this around and we had to turn it around quickly. You know, you don't, uh, unfortunately, athletic directors don't wait on you, you know, too many years now. And that that's something that's changed in, in the last 10 years or so uh, because of the money that's now put into our programs. And for us, for example, because the recruiting is two years out, like here we are June 15th, and we're going to be talking to sophomores who are rising juniors. So it's two years out. So when we got here, we looked at it from the standpoint and said, look, if we wait two years out to get the better kids, then that means two more years of losing for us here at Pitt. And then those better kids two years out aren't going to want to come, right? Because you've got you know, three years of losing or two years of losing here uh, as a coach at a program that you're trying to turn around. So we knew we, we couldn't attract the best U.S. players uh, if we didn't start winning. So we went international. We ended up bringing in, you know, a handful of Canadians, four or five Canadian players, uh, a player from a couple of players from Spain, um, an Icelandic player in 2019. And that really helped us turn the program around very quickly. Those players um, really came in and did, did a good job uh, for us. And I couldn't have in 2019 got the U S player, the top U S players that we wanted because we didn't have anything to sell other than the ACC, the academics of our university and a little bit about us as coaches. That, that was our selling point, but the kids we wanted the U S kids in 2019 were the same players Carolina wanted and Virginia wanted, and we didn't have a track record like those teams. So we had to build it through the international pathway. Now, kind of going back to your question is, are we done with 24? Um, we just literally in the last month and a half went back and through due to my international connections, we signed a for 23 for this fall, we signed a Austrian youth uh, senior women's national team player. We signed one of my Nigerians that have come in here and we signed an English international national team player that plays for Man City. Those players we think are impact game-changing kind of players for us. And, um, you know, we couldn't still, we're still not getting right now the national team U.S. top players because even though we made the NCAA tournament and we finished ranked 12th in the country, we've got a we got to do that for a few years, you know, before we become thought of in the same vein as 
Virginia, Florida State, Carolina. I think the other side of it with the internationals and, and to answer those questions are right now, if you're a top program playing in a top conference, you know, like we are, obviously, then all of us are going after a relatively small pool of players that are the U.S. national team players or players that are right on the cusp and, and are at the same level as those national team players. So oftentimes, you know, those players, they're looking at not only the top teams in the ACC, but they're also looking at Santa Clara. They're looking at Stanford. They're looking at, uh, you know, Penn State or other top teams and other conferences. So we're all going after a relatively small pool. And so oftentimes the international players uh, are easier in some ways to get um, because not all the schools in the, in the country are, are looking at those international players. So I think that pathway has, those doors have opened for the better international players now uh, coming in, uh, you know, to the, to the domestic game here in, in the U S the downside of that is um Oftentimes, those internationals cost you a lot of scholarship money uh, because they're coming so far. And sometimes the U.S.-based players, um, you know, maybe don't cost as much because they want to go to Carolina or they want to go to Duke or they want to go to, you know, Florida State. Um, but so it's a two-way, it's a, it's a tough balancing act on that. For us, we built it through the internationals. We're going to be, look, I, I have six Canadians on our roster. You know, now I've got the an English international. I've got the Austrian player. We've got uh, the Nigerian player that's, that's in as well. So, you know, we've got a, we're going to have a handful of, you know, international players that are really uh, uh, highlighted in, in our roster, but that's for us, we did it because we didn't want to wait. And we felt like two years of continued losing because we weren't going to get the top U S kids. We could have, recruited everything, uh, in, I mean, domestically, which we did. The core of our team are domestic players, and we've been getting better and better players each year. But to find some of those difference makers, we didn't want to wait two years to do that. So that's why we went international. So the thing, I think that's why you're seeing schools start to go that route. On the men's side, it's even worse. I mean, oh, yeah. our men's team here at Pitt is a Final Four team, and they're almost all internationals. You know, you look at the men's side, that's really becoming pre uh, prevalent. Um, but on the women's side, you know, it's, 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 it's not there yet. I do think you'll see a little bit more of it. Um, but, um, uh, I think we have more good players on the U S side. The men's side's a little different because those internationals that they're getting are a lot of kind of players that came up through the club system in, in top pro clubs, and they didn't quite, haven't quite made it into the pro club. So they're almost in some regards, you know, got a pro background, even though they're not pro, pro players, um, that's given them a better environment than maybe some of the, uh, you know, the U.S. clubs can do here. Uh, so I think that's why you see it a lot on the men's side as well. No, I, I agree with that. I know my, my buddy Mike Siebold down in Missouri State's got a, got a roster full of yeah. international guys. But yeah. you talk about recruiting experience, and I understand that, especially uh, when you're trying to make an impact quickly. Um, so can you kind of give me your insights on the the transfer portal? Because now people are recruiting out of that to get experience and, and also uh, the junior college pathway. Yeah, I tell you, the transfer portals really changed the dynamics quite a bit. Um, 
and I'm not sure I'm a fan of it. Let me let me start by saying that. I, I'm not sure I'm against it in theory, but I'm not sure I'm a real fan of it the way it's played out. Um, players should have the opportunity to leave if they're not happy. I'm a big believer in your college experience. You should it, it should be good for you. You shouldn't be at a place that you're miserable. Um, but I think what's happening because we're recruiting earlier, you know, you're starting to recruit sophomores now and getting commitments really before they start their junior year. I think a lot of times um, the players don't do enough due diligence and the coaches don't either. And, and then a player gets to a university and realizes after a semester, wait, I, I, don't, I don't really like it here. I, I thought I would, but I was put under a lot of pressure to make a decision early. So I think that's why we're seeing a lot more players on the transfer portal. Now, what happens to me is um, the portal is so easy to get on and to maneuver now. Players are just, if they're not happy with anything, whether it's playing time or social environment or just want to change the scenery or not playing as much as they think they should, they get on the portal and off they go. And there's literally thousands of kids in soccer now on the portal. Um, where it's going to change things and where it started to change things is some schools probably will recruit a lot through the portal now because they can get an experienced player. So they may save some scholarship money each year just for the portal. Now we're not doing that at Pitt because I think it's a, a dangerous game to play because you never know what's coming up on the portal. And if you want to live and die by the portal, um, you know, you, you there could be some years you hit the jackpot and land two or three really good transfers. And there could be a year that if you're saving money and banking on getting your, your recruit from the portal, what happens if those top players don't get on the portal or they don't choose your school? You know, you're in a little bit of trouble. So we're not setting money aside here at Pitt specifically for the portal. But I think there will be some schools that do that because they might have to live a little bit by it. I know our men's basketball team changed from last year to this year uh, tremendously just by the portal. You know, they they get, they got five portal guys and blended them together and and made an NCAA tournament. But now what happens, you know, can he keep doing that? I, I don't really know. So I think the, the portal really changes the dynamics. The hard part is, I feel bad for those up and coming kids each year, you know, like the 24s, for example, that are still trying to look Well, there's so many kids on the portal, you know, will a, will a college coach go to the portal to get an experienced player or will they, they still try to land that 24 and give them a chance. So I, I think it really, really makes it difficult. Um, you know, now it, it's just another layer that's in there that's, change the recruiting platform. So now you're not only looking for a youth player graduating high school, but you're looking, you know, for now college players that are looking to transfer and that happens every year. So I do think it diminishes a little bit the financial scholarship opportunities that are out there for some players, um, you know, in high school. So that's changed the dynamic tremendously. The JUCO, I think there's always going to be a place for junior college players um, I think schools that have gone that route a lot will continue to go that route. Um, it's something that we've looked at. I just quite frankly haven't found the JUCO player that I think can help us, so we haven't brought any in. But we'll always look and and scour that that dimension as well and and see if we can find that player out there that for whatever reason ended up in a JUCO, and now they can come in and 
and help us because at least it is a more experienced player that's got some college background and expertise um you know and with a juco player you've only got, you're only going to have them for a couple of years you know and then they graduate on i do think there's a lot of schools that bank on that more than than we do but that's probably schools more in the platform of a mid-major or um you know an up-and-coming program that's trying to get good quickly and it has to go that pathway but it's a, there's a lot of platforms out there now that you have to be really good at and, and tracking and monitoring in this whole recruiting process. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, coach, we've, I think we've covered the recruiting side uh, pretty well here. So I want to give you a chance to, to tell us a little bit about Pitt. I mean, I, I spent a summer uh, at Carnegie Mellon, so I'm familiar with being down the street there uh, yeah. and, and enjoyed that part of, part of the country. Um, so you've been at Pitt for a few years. What are some of the things that you found about the school that, that make it a a great place to be? Well, number one, academically, it's, it's a great school. And as much as soccer, you know, runs my life and, and my job depends on being good at what we do and building a program, we understand that the players we recruit, we have an obligation to make sure they get a great degree and they're set up for the next 40 years of their life. And, and so um, I, I can tell you, we've never lost any recruit due to the fact they didn't think the academics weren't good enough. So um, we, we have the academics, which is a great selling point. It's in an urban setting. So a lot of our uh, players love that because you're five minutes from the city and, you know, it, it kind of looks, it's got a European feel to it. You know, everything, as you saw down at Carnegie Mellon, all the restaurants and little shops and stores and things are right at the bottom of the hill and you, you can walk. You don't really need a car. Everything you can do is within walking distance. It's not like some of those campuses where you have to get in your car and leave campus and drive into the city uh, to do something. You know, everything that you could dream of doing is, is right here uh, on campus and within walking distance. Um, so I think that's, you know, been something that's been a really uh, good sell for us is the, the campus itself. And then I think the fact that we're in the ACC and I would argue with anybody in the country that we are the best conference in the country. I think we've proven that in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, we send eight, nine, 10 teams to the NCAA tournament every year. And that's more than any other conference in the country on a consistent basis by far. So we've got a great conference. So if players are looking to maximize, um, their experience and grow and play against the best, then it doesn't get any better uh, than playing Florida state, you know, on Thursday and then turn around and play in Virginia on, on Sunday. And then, Oh, next weekend, you got Carolina and Duke and Oh, by the way, next weekend you got Notre Dame and, <laughs> you know, and you got Virginia tech. I mean, it, it's just, it's a, it's a brutal schedule from the coaching standpoint, but it's, it's great. It's competitive. And if players want to play at the highest level, this is, the conference to be in to do it and and certainly the good thing about Pitt is since we're growing when I when we took this over in 2018 we did not win a single ACC game we only scored two or three goals in the ACC we gave up about 48 49 goals that year we were absolutely down at the bottom we're now we made the ACC tournament this year you know, we, uh, for our first time ever, we made the NCAA tournament this year for the first time ever. We finished ranked 12th in the country. So we've now elevated ourselves from 
the bottom of the conference to the in, into that top, you know, six teams in our conference. And uh, the next step is to push forward to to win it. And uh, I think we're we're headed in that direction to be one of the the top teams in the conference. So the opportunity for a lot of those players that may not could go to Florida State and play or go to Carolina and play, they could come to this conference and come to Pitt and get that opportunity to play. And that's really what's been our selling point is you can come to the best conference in the country and play in it. You can come to a great school and uh, and yet come to a program to help us build this into one of the, the true powerhouses in the NCAA. So these are some of the selling points that we think we have. I hope our background as, as coaches here at Pitt, you know, we've coached in the pro league. Uh, I, I was in the NWSL. We won two national championships at Notre Dame. We played in eight final fours. We, you know, um, we, we've just been very successful. I'm coaching the Nigerian women's national team now. Uh, before that, I was coaching Trinidad and Tobago's national team. So I, I would hope players would understand that we think we've got a good enough staff here to help those players get better. And if they have professional aspirations, this is a great environment to be in. Well, for sure. Uh, I think if anybody's questioning that, uh, they, they got other problems to deal with. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But uh, well, before we wrap up, let's just talk a little bit about the about the team. I know, you, you know, there's if and I'll mention this here. If, if you yeah. haven't seen it yet, folks, check out the. Uh, the soccer Queens podcast. I know Erica had did a great conversation with you, so I don't want to cover all the same things that, yep. that she did because folks can see that. But um, one of the things uh, you just mentioned there is, is the staff. So can you tell us a little bit about what the staff looks like, what roles does everybody play and how they kind of just help shape the team? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really lucky when I took this job, uh, I was able to talk my son back into coming to work with me. He was with me at Notre Dame when we won our first national championship. And then he kind of took off and went back to our home base, which is Texas and, and started doing his own thing, working in the youth club scene there with FC Dallas and was helping him along with Matt Grubb. We're probably running the, one of the top uh, girls youth clubs in the country uh, down there in, in Dallas. And so when I took this job, I, I knew I needed somebody that knew and thought the way I did and, saw the game in the same way. So I was able to convince him to come back. He's my associate head coach. And quite honestly, he's running a lot of what we do now. He's been doing so for a couple of years, but I couldn't take on the Nigeria job if I didn't have him here um, because we're kind of a clone of each other. And, and uh, you know, we, we know exactly what we want. Um, then I've got uh, Dustin Stein. Uh, he was in the junior college um, realm uh, down in Texas. He had a, uh, he was at Eastfield College, and at the time, they were uh, one of the best teams in their region. He had kind of built them from nothing into being a, a top team in the region uh, there in that part of the country. So we brought him in. Uh, he's been with me the whole time for five years. And then about two years ago, I brought in a goalkeeper coach, Jesse Goldman, who's a, a local guy, but he was out um, uh, coaching out east for a while, and then um, – he coached in the men's side in Des Moines, uh, and that team won the USL, um, you know, while he was there. And so he's been back with us for a couple of years now. And now that we've, he's been our volunteer coach, but now that we, um, um, you know, can add a fourth coach, we'll go through an interview process. We're in the middle of now 
um, you know, taking a peek at bringing that fourth coach on staff. And then our support staff's great. Our, our academic advisor is a, she's a former soccer player. So she knows what it's like to be an athlete and, 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 and try to manage, you know, the classroom and our athletic trainer was in women's basketball. Now she's been with us for a few years. Um, she does a great job. Uh, we've got a full-time nutritionist and strength and conditioning coach that are also both female coaches and do an outstanding job. So I think our entire, not only the coaches, but the entire support staff that we have here, I think is, is, is one of the best in the country and they do a great job. Um, not much slips through the cracks here. So I'm excited about it. They're all young, they're passionate, they're eager, and they want to be the best at what we do. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're, they're coachable and they're all, they all want to learn. And I think that's the, the big thing is they're all growing in their own respective fields. And, uh, and yet they're already quite good at what they do. So we, we feel like we've got a, a great staff. So thanks for giving me a chance to kind of give them a plug. Of course. And, and coach, I mean, I could probably sit here, we could do a three hour podcast and hear yeah. some great stories, but uh, I want to be uh, cognizant of your time and really appreciate it. So I'm going to leave you with one last question. And, and it's really for all the parents and players out there. If there was one thing, one nugget, something you wish every player or, or parent of a player in this recruiting process should know, what, what would you want to share with them? And, and what, what, what wisdom do you want to impart to make sure that they, they yeah. enjoy this? You know, the, the biggest thing I think that I, I would like to see and in, in, with parents in particular with their kids we're in a uh, youth club soccer world where we're chasing trophies. You know, we're tracing, chasing, you know, playing at the highest level. And, and my, my advice is um, a lot of that's really not going to matter at the end at, at the collegiate program. You know, when we go watch these tournaments, we don't even remember who won really a lot and who, who didn't uh, we're looking at the individual player. So to me, everything is about, player development and getting a great foundation at a young age. And by that, I mean, working on your technical skills and, and, and being an expert at that, you know, can you control the ball under pressure? Can you pass the ball? Can you finish properly? Can you head? I mean, all those little technical things that are going to make you a good player. And those are the things that's going to get you into the college level and the pro level is, is, player development so going back to your question i would say the biggest nugget would be don't don't follow and chase trophies and chase always trying to play for the best team get a if you've got a good coach that is really good at developing you go play where you get player de development don't go where you know where you're winning but you're not really getting developed it's just a combination of good players is why you win you know uh although you want to play in a good environment around good players, uh, if you've got a great coach that does a great job in helping you get vet better as a player, then, you know, stick, stick to that, you know, don't, don't, don't get lured and sucked into this world of just jumping from team to team, always chasing a dream, uh, find a good coach that can teach you and develop you and, and stick with that. That'd be my one big piece of advice. I couldn't agree more coach. Well, I super Appreciate uh, your time and 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 making yourself available. Wish you the best of luck as you continue uh, your journey there at Pitt. I'm sure we're gonna see that those rankings just creep higher and higher as time goes on. And and best of luck with the 
the the women's national team over there too and uh just uh hopefully we'll if you get out to any of the events down here in Bradenton you know either IMG or over at Premier give me a shout and we'll we'll grab some a, a drink and catch up all right coach we'll do. look forward to it thanks for having me Matt thank you all right